welcome to Gamers Lounge number 161. That would be episode 161. So, keeping on track with every two weeks release, uh, we're getting ready to go into Christmas here. So, the next release after this will be after the new year. However, this is a doozy of an episode to finish out the end of the year. I was joined by Steve Margitson from Steamforge Games. He is the current lead designer on a brand new game, God Tier, which just fulfilled their Kickstarter and is actually, as you're listening to this, will have just gone to retail release. And, um, yeah, uh, this is a game, look, up front, full disclosure here, uh, no, no, you know, no shame, no hate, no, no, uh, deception. Um, this is a game that I backed on the Kickstarter. I chose not to do any of the playtesting that was available. I did, uh, I did pick up an early release kit and chose not to do any play, playtesting. I got a demo when I heard the rules were finalized and was just generally not impressed with the game. Um, was not excited, was, was not really, was not really looking forward to it, was, was actually a little sad on, you know, how deep I went in on the Kickstarter. Um, that said, the Kickstarter arrived, a friend of the show, John, got a hold of me, he also, uh, kickstarted it, and, uh, and knowing there were issues and, and kind of a rocky road, he got a hold of me and was like, hey... I know you weren't super excited, but what do you think about getting together and trying it out? Just the two of us. I was like, you know what? Let's do that. Um, we met a couple days before Thanksgiving out at the house, sat down, opened up our stuff. We uh, played the tutorial. We turned around and re-racked after the tutorial. Uh, we played a full game. And this game is really good. Uh, it's light. It's got a a very accessible skill floor. I think there's a lot of depth here, uh, a lot more depth than it than it may look like initially. Uh, with with where the skill floor is at to get in, um, you know, just I I'm I am surprised. Uh, I am pleasantly surprised and actually very happy. Because now I'm over on the other side where I'm I'm glad to have these models. I think this is going to be a great casual game, a great campaign game, with a good enough edge that people that want to play in tournaments can play in tournaments. So, you know, that said, I'm a convert. I'm over on the other side. I was very happy to have Steve on. Steve talks uh, about a whole lot of things. Uh, we talk for over an hour. And uh, it's a good episode. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much. And uh, I will come out with a closing on the other side of the interview. There we go. (laughs) Hello, hello. So I am joined today by... um, Jeez, I might as well just say it now. I mean, somebody from my favorite favorite country in the world, another Brit. <laughs> <laughs> so, how you doing, Steve? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing very well. So, Steve, you are 
the uh, what the lead developer for a little game called God Tier from a little company called Steamforged Games. <laughs> Did I get all that right? Yeah, you got all that right. <laughs> Although I think there's one of those where we've kind of Steamforged Games, this being this little company that may not be as true anymore. Like we've <laughs> expanded an awful lot, even you know from when I've joined the company, there's been a lot of new hires and so on. Yeah, that's uh, well. Yeah, take take some of this tongue in cheek. I mean, as I sit and look at my uh, you know two foot tall stack of boxes next to me here, uh, when I say little game god tier, I uh, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. maybe new game god tier is the correct yeah. phrase. <laughs> so, um, so I wanted to get you on today. I, like we are. We're right there. Um, God Tears, a game, you know, Steamforge's first quote unquote full blown traditional fantasy game. It's a war yep. game, uh, very, very different. And the Kickstarter is delivering. The launch is next weekend, like the, the yeah, first weekend so, in December, right? Yeah. So, uh, retail date is the 6th of December. And actually, um, I mean, as we record this tomorrow, um, will be the launch event here in Manchester, um, which is quite exciting. And, uh, I, I checked on the shipping. Unfortunately, that massive statue of black jaw can't get to my house in a reasonable amount of cost. <laughs> so, uh, so you guys get to keep that one. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's probably for the best. Like, um, it's real interesting. Those like big statues are also really fragile. Um, and yeah, there was definitely some concerns of trying to get that shipped and so on. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. So I wanted to, I like, thank you so much for coming on. I wanted to talk about God tier no for, for a number of reasons. Um, it is the next big miniature game, I think is a good way to say it coming out from Steamforged. Right, mm-hmm. we we saw Guild Ball to launch the company. We've seen a number of board games. Now it's kind of returning to its roots. God Tier has had a journey, to say the least. Uh, we'll we'll let the listeners decide <laughs> if that's been a rocky journey or not. And um, and then you know, there's definitely it's 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 moved right. It moved from a concept that Matt had to you know you the new guy being a being lead developer and. You know, getting to work with some of these people like DC, who've been in the industry quite a while, yeah. And now it's getting into players' hands. Um, it's gone through. It's gone through quite a journey, and I think that's a good thing for people to hear and understand what a game goes through to kind of be realized. And then, of course, we got to talk about the gameplay because the game's <laughs> just cool, that, like just simply cool. So, uh, so if you're good with all that, um, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, so why don't we jump in, Steve? Who who are you? Like, where did you come from, and how did you get into game design overall? <laughs> oh, my my journey is very <laughs> unusual. Um, so, I guess in terms of where me and game design starts is, um, so for a long time I played like computer games and um, like tabletop games growing up, and um, I'm in a incredibly privileged position that my parents were were and still are gamers oh um, wow so um and so i grew up and um my parents like had a first edition copy of D, for example um that i didn't know was a first edition copy until very recently um 
uh, of the, the like the first version at least, and you know had a copy of like second edition Blood Bowl and things like that, and um, also like computer games were their hobby um, and computers just generally, and so games have always been around me, and it was kind of I guess a osmosis kind of thing, particularly like tabletop games and video games is they're around me and they are just normal is like they've always been just surrounding me so um for the longest time i kind of expected that i was going to uh get into like computer games uh design either doing like programming and so on and i even like um did some of that kind of in my spare time growing up because my dad did it as kind of a hobby in his Mm. spare time um and then I'm not exactly sure when, but at some point when I was a teenager, um, I got into um, music, essentially, was I uh, started to learn to play instruments. Um, And as a result, kind of, I guess, everything shifted from that point, was I still played games and so on, but I was spending a lot of my time doing, like, recording um, in my spare time for fun and playing in bands and things like that and, and so on. And as a result, I actually ended up going to university and doing like a science degree in uh, music recording, um, which, as you can see, very different to game design uh, yeah, and, and where wow. I ended up. So then I finished my degree. I moved back to my parents' place and so on and looking for jobs and things like that. And I'm one of the things that I was looking at doing because of my interest in games was music and sound effects for video games. And um I was looking to attend an event um, that uh, was uh, in Nottingham in the UK, which was like a games event um, where a lot of independent developers would go because I was like, go along, network, have a look at some cool stuff and so on. And I posted out on Twitter at the time um, that, oh, uh, I'm going to this event. And I got, and I don't even know how um, he found me, was I got a message from someone that was from the the closest city to where I'm originally from, Norwich. And he messaged me saying, oh, you're based like right near where we are. We have like this game development group that I'm trying to get off the ground. You should come along to that. Um, so I'm like, well, when's your next meeting? And he's like, well, at this point, I'm like, well, that's when I'm away. <laughs> so I end up like going in, along to this group and I get quite involved in this group to the point where I end up like, helping to run some of the the meetings that they do. And this group is predominantly focused around, like, video games, but we also have people sharing, like, um, tabletop games and so on. So are you familiar with with Unpub in the the U.S.? Yes, I'm familiar with Unpub, yeah. It it almost sounds like an Unpub group, but for video games as well as as board and card games. From what I know about Unpub, that sounds kind of similar, was that this was, we meted, we, we would meet up, like, uh, so kind of minimum like once a month and we do different meetings where sometimes we do show and tell sometimes it would just be like socials you know meet up in in a pub chats you know game design and things like that and kind of what ended up happening was because I was helping to kind of run this group and I'd always had an interest in game design I was like oh I I should probably make some games and you know the um particularly in the video game space, tools have gotten so much more accessible mm-hmm. and easy to use compared to, you know, how they used to be. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this kind of in my spare time while I'm doing like part-time jobs and things like that. And 
so I'm kind of going along making, you know, video games in my spare time doing like the, I never like really finished anything, but kind of had a few prototypes um, and so on. And then um, what happens is that uh, I noticed that Steamforged have a kind of job opening and I kind of look at it and go, well, it's really interesting because like I'm doing mostly video game design, but I've done like tabletop stuff for for fun, you know, and things right, like that right. before. And I've always been interested in that things. Like I was a avid Guild Ball player and have played, you know, lots of different board games and uh, miniature games throughout the years. And I was like, well, what have I got to lose was kind of the way I looked at it. Um, so I ended up kind of applying and um, the what ended up happening was kind of the interview process at the time for Steamforge was um, they essentially said, you know, pitch a game, here's a fake, like, Yield Ball model, um, have a look at it, um, give some feedback and so on, um, and go from there. <laughs> so, you know, playtested this, you know, fake Yield Ball model that they'd made um, and then pitched this game and, and kind of sent that, that all off and kind of, you know, thought, well, I thought I'd done a fairly good job, but, you know, you're... I imagine there'll be like a decent amount of competition and so on. Um, cause it's kind of a job a lot of people would want to do. So I kind of thought, well, I might be in a chance, but I didn't really expect it to kind of go anywhere. Um, and I end up then kind of, um, getting an email, uh, much later saying, um, yeah, based on kind of your submission, um, would like to have you an interview with, um, DC. Now, I'd played War Machine by this point for many years. So having it's DC... The legendary DC shows up yeah. to do your interview. <laughs> yeah, so it's one of those where, like... Because um, I think at that point, because um, I played War Machine, I think... Uh, so from kind of the end of Mark 1 through kind of all of Mark 2 and so on. So um, for those who aren't aware, DC for the longest time was a very like important person over at Privateer Press in terms of their, he was their head of development and so on. So, yeah, that's, a, that's a nice way to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it was one of those where like kind of going into this interview, like I'm just incredibly nervous because they, you know, there's this imposter syndrome going on going, why, why am I being interviewed by this person? <laughs> it's like, I, I have no business being here. Um, and so I have this interview and, um, me and DC chat for you know, a couple of hours or so on. And it's, you know, talking about the things that I've done, the, um, and then just talking about games just generally. Um, and that was, you know, both kind of work-related, but then even just, you know, going, oh, have you played this? You know, it sounds like based on what you're saying, you're into this and so on, and you should try this and things like that. So we have this kind of long interview that is definitely more like just kind of a chat, mm -hmm. I guess, and getting to know each other. Um, so I kind of come off the call and um, I, I feel like it's gone pretty well, but, you know, like any anyone that's been in any form of interview situation, you've had that situation of where you think an interview's gone very well and, um, you know, you don't get the job. So I was kind of still very much like, well, you know, we'll see what kind of happens, essentially. Um, it seemed like it went well, but, you know, who knows? So I 
think it was the next day or something like that, I get an email basically saying that um quite impressed with your interview. We'll you know um we'd like to do a follow up interview um with Matt Hart. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So I'm you know, this is the second stage. Yeah, this is obviously the second stage and you know there'll be more stages and so on. So um we arranged this kind of interview and so on and um what ends up happening is, so I wake up on the morning of the interview and it's scheduled for the afternoon via a call. And uh, I've got another email saying, oh, and by the way, just is it okay if Rich Loxham is involved as well, the, the other managing director? And I'm just like, oh, okay, this is, <laughs> this is clearly going to get a bit, you know, um, <laughs> this is clearly a bit meaningful and so on because they're both here. And I'm, you know, naturally, I'm like, yeah, sure. In in the back of my mind thinking, you know, more pressure, great. <laughs> um, so we start the call and then we're, you know, chatting, uh, chatting to both Matt and Rich and kind of going through. And um, then we get to, I don't know, about half an hour in, we've just been chatting and, Matt basically says to me, he goes, because we're going to be quite like upfront here is based on what DC said and about your interview and also the stuff you've submitted. Um, we're not going to kind of beat around the bush. We, you know, we want to hire you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> um, like this really surprised me. So then, you know, there's, we start to chat about kind of me moving up to Manchester because where I'm originally from is kind of the, um, like, in the middle of the UK and then as far east as you can go. Ah, um, okay. Oh, so, so you had to kind I'm, of go to the other side of the other side of the island. Yeah, more or less, <laughs> and quite a, a fair bit up, up north as well. Like, the um, <clears throat> the kind of drive, and <laughs> for, for Americans and so on, they'll be like, this is no big deal, but it's like a four-and-a-half-hour drive on a good day. Um, yeah, come on, we don't do that every day. We only do that <laughs> on weekends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we start to have a chat about, you know, me moving up there. And um, it was then kind of, I can't even remember when that interview happened, but I ended up working remotely for about a month and then moved up to Manchester. And kind of for another month after that, Steamforge was in the process of, moving its offices it had been based in stockport previously and was now going to be based in trafford park in uh, manchester and so i worked remotely at that point because i'd made the move for the new office essentially so me getting over to kind of the other side of manchester was not that ideal and you know i'd worked remotely for you know that first month right. anyway so i was kind of used to it um and then yeah i remember kind of the very early days of going into that office and, you know, putting in a lot of cases, kind of getting to know people outside of just knowing them on calls and so on. So uh, now as you go through, you're, you're in Steamforge now and uh, you get handed God tier. And, and I got to admit, I kind of picture the handoff from Matt being one of these, you know, it's like, 1117 he's <laughs> rolled in he goes hey steve uh listen um big model couple little models gods are dead smash the world apocalypse go and then like blows out and calls you a week later is like what do you got <laughs> am, am well, i close <laughs> it's one of those there's actually like another big part to this story i guess is so 
me being the lead developer for God's sake is kind of a it's been just over a year now and actually god tier so god tier had i heard many things about god tier prior to you know arriving at steam forged um and there'd been kind of rumblings of obviously the announcement that happened and then um when well, i arrived at steam forged i was like well what is god tier you know like um <laughs> it's the big thing that you're announcing and things like that and it's from what I understand, and I had lots of different things, is that it had gone through lots of different iterations, and there had been a lot of kind of concepts and, you know, trying different directions and things like that. And it was really the um, kind of what was shown at uh, SteamCon UK and US, which uh, in 2017, um, which is kind of where God Tier ended up. And it was from that point that then um, Alex Hall um, was the lead developer on that with DC assisting him. And I was kind of involved and around at various points during the early access. Like I remember helping out on kind of the very first version and kind of checking in every now and then and being involved <laughs> in playtesting. And then it was kind of just over a year ago where I took it over and by that point, Alex and DC had, you know, a lot of the groundwork had been laid. I, when I was actually talking to Alex recently about it is that definitely I would say when they handed it over to me, kind of 95% of, you know, of, of the game was already there. And, you know, I said that that 95% is great. And um, <laughs> Alex's his response was, he was like, yeah, but that last 5% is the hardest 5% to do. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but that last 5% is so much easier to do when the other 95% is great. So I kind oh, of so ended you, up... So you've gone broke buying those guys dinner and gifts then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I took over at that point and there was kind of a transition period of where... Um, like uh, Alex was still involved a bit and then it became just me and DC. Um, and now very recently um, DC is no longer like involved in, in the project at all. So it is now just me kind of going forward and like a lot of, I guess the, you know, Kickstarter stuff. Um, like I did have a hand in kind of the ending parts of those and, you know, kind of final balancing and things like that but it will be kind of the stuff after that that you will really kind of see more of my, I guess, um, the, the stuff that I worked on kind of more from the beginning, I guess. Okay. So, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. I mean, how bizarre is it, like just mind-blowingly bizarre, to be a fan sitting at the announcement of, <laughs> oh, by the way, we have a new hardcore fantasy game and now you know in really a fairly short amount of time in yeah. the scope of everything be the guy who's going to take all the blame for the future of this game <laughs> I mean, that's one way of putting it it's it it's very hard to describe honestly it's just one of those where i I would not have imagined when I, you know, was at that very first Steam Con in, I believe, like 2016, it yeah. was, um, that if you had told me at that point when I was sat in that chair, you know, watching the keynote and when this game God Tier was announced, 
that you know i would be one of the people up there and this um, this game god tier i would be lead developer on i i wouldn't have believed you because um even the idea of working for steamforged in any capacity let alone as like lead developer on quite a big game of theirs um would yeah i just wouldn't have believed you <laughs> Uh, so, so God tier has had an interesting journey and it, and it sounds yes. like you, you've caught the back end of it, but you certainly have experienced, um, at least from an ancillary standpoint. Um, you know, we saw early on, I, there, there was a couple of interesting decisions, right? One big, was it 54 millimeter? I mean, basically here's a large model. We want people to be able to paint. We're going to yep. put a, a group of small models around it and, uh, and, and make them followers. Um, there's been mechanic changes. You got all the vitriol that lives in, in Kickstarter, which I just, I mean, that takes the internet to a whole new level. Um, what, how's, um, you know, as things have developed, I, I guess one of my big questions are, you know, what are the things that the, the future fans of God tier maybe didn't recognize about that journey? Like, what are the, what are the things that, were tough, but definitely became wins. Hmm. So I guess one of the main ones, and I think this kind of, so for those people who aren't aware, one of the kind of processes that we went through with God tier was a thing we called early access, which was we essentially um, allowed people to buy metal models with playtesting materials so that they could play the game before it was released and help us with developing it and provide feedback for us. And it's one of those where it's a really interesting experience to kind of talk about because um, there were definitely things that we learned about through that process. And I think there were also things that um, kind of our fans learned about during that process is I think there were definitely people that when we said, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing this, they were expecting a the first version of God Tier to be like this fully formed game where, you know, everything was going to be perfect and, you know, the numbers were just going to be slightly wrong and it wouldn't be that long. And obviously the first version of God Tier was still, I guess, recognizable as the game it is now. But there are a lot of things that, changed during that kind of time period um ranging from like i remember one of the well i say one of the first version the first version we presented to people there was a single like reference card that had all the special rules for you know each type of champion so if you were playing like a slayer champion you would have to look at the slayer rule on the reference card and this card was double-sided so you had to flip it over frequently right. to you know have a look at it and check them and on top of that followers had their own special rules based on classes and things like that and so it was one of those where like i think people got to kind of see this process and where the game came from and um, something I said about when we were talking off air was that I've definitely had people that tried early versions of God Tier and have tried now the more recent version. And the early version, they were like, well, no, I would never buy this. And then I've equally had the same people try a later version and go, oh, this is really good. I would buy this. And it's it's been an interesting journey because often, like, all this stuff happens, you know, behind closed doors. And it's only, you know external playtesters that really ever see the iteration of our products 
other than, you know, us ourselves within Steamforge. Well, and you almost want to, I, I mean, it's funny, the couple of friends I have that are in other game companies, um, when I mm. talk to them about being a playtester or, or development, you know, I, I almost always recommend, and, I, and I wish there was a way to do this, right? It's not so much the, hey, listen, Mr. Early Access person, Nobody really likes to see how the sausage is made. You almost have to go the other way and go, please sign this affidavit swearing that you want to see how the sausage is made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough process, and, and game design is so fluid. I know, um, so I was one of the early access backers, but more from a, let me throw my support behind this game, because yeah. I got the box in. I had a local group who was like, we're going to we're gonna stream our early access and we're going to do all this play testing. Come over. And I'm like, uh, uh, no, just no. <laughs> like, I'm going to put my box aside. I'm going to have some nice, you know, different models when the, uh, when the game finally comes out. And I want to see the final thing because right now I just don't have the brain, the brain width to, uh, you know, jump into play testing a, a full blown game. And I don't like begrudge anyone that, you know, kind of felt that way because there have also, and this is kind of, seems to be like a universal thing. It's, you know, I've had people in the UK, I've had people in America and so on that said, you know, they went in on early access with the intent that they were going to, you know, play test, give us a lot of good feedback and so on. And then they said, you know, they kind of realized the work that's involved. Right. And it's not even just like, you know, typing up your feedback and so on and providing it. It's getting people to together to play games. It's the fact that in a game that is actively in development is cards are changing, you know, frequently and pieces are changing. So you need to make sure you've got the latest version because, you know, if we're on 0.2 and you're testing 0.1, your feedback is, you know, basically Dated. meaningless depend, right. <laughs> yeah basically meaningless depending on how much has changed um so it's one of those i don't begrudge those people because um i've definitely and this has only gotten more of a thing since obviously i started to work in this industry is i don't want to play an unfinished game because i do that as my day job is I want a game, you know, a game that I would play in my spare time that I've not worked on. I want that to be something that's finished and I'm just going to go and play it and I don't have to worry because, yeah, I don't want to spend my, you know, free time feeding back, even if I, you know, have opinions on a game and so on. Um, and I don't begrudge people that don't want to do that either because it's it's not for everyone and it is hard work. And and I can remember hearing, like, for God Tier specifically, uh, there was a period of time where uh, Lorsan was like the end-all, <laughs> be-all, destroy everything on the board. And uh, I can remember some of my locals talking about, oh, this game is going to be horrible, incredibly overpowered. And I was like, but aren't they still in playtesting? Like, aren't yeah. they, have they even gotten to power balance yet? Like, aren't they still working on mechanics and, I, you know, whether there's going to be a track on the side of the board or not? <laughs> <laughs> it's real funny you bring up Lawson. Um, so obviously with the game having, you know, shipping to people and coming out soon, I've been doing a variety of interviews and there was one that was kind of focused a bit more on early access. And I told this story on this one, but I think it's it's funny to bring up again just because you brought up Lawson. Mm -hmm. So when the very first version of the, the God Tier Early Access was made, I believe it was maybe a week, maybe even less than a week, that we went me and Bryce, one of the other developers, and 
uh, went to a convention in the UK called Bonescom, which is a miniature game convention that sadly no longer exists. Um, and we took early access kits because we wanted to just get this game in front of as many people as possible and get feedback. And in that very first version, Lawsan was just broken. Like, she was so <laughs> strong. And it was one of those where, so, you know, after each game or you would teach someone how to play and then you would leave them to play their full game because you just want them to, you know, play and then feed back to you afterwards. And the most common bit of feedback we got over that weekend was about Lausanne. And I remember, like, the kind of... <laughs> first few times we had people come up and they go oh just you know like they were telling us something we you know hadn't worked out was oh <laughs> just so you know Lawson's pretty good like she probably needs to be changed and it was kind of funny the first few times but then when you started to get like like 10 plus more people coming up you know thinking that they'd discovered this that they had this big right. revelation when it was was kind of um it was fairly well known to us, like even after kind of a few more um, games and so on, that she was, you know, very, very good. Because at that point, you know, it wasn't really worth focusing on balance because we didn't even have all the mechanics locked down. But it was just one of those where it was really funny. Um, and yeah, there's definitely those stories from various early access people who. <laughs> you know, experience things like that. And normally those kind of stories are, you know, confined entirely to the, you know, the development team and obviously our, any external playtesters and our QA testers of, you know, do you remember when this thing was so broken? Um, like I remember a fabled one that happened before I was at the company was like Midas having the like triple dodge, triple push result for apparently an <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> um so, yeah, it's one of those where it was very interesting to kind of see people's response and kind of also what people focused on. And I remember because it was Alex and DC at this point predominantly doing early access and like doing all of that. I was kind of I was in the same room as Alex and would chat to him about it a lot. And one of the things that um, he said was very difficult was how much people even at that early stage were concerned about balance and yeah. he he's you know they both of them kept trying to kind of reiterate this idea as oh we're not testing for balance we're testing for is this intuitive is this fun does this feel clunky things like that and um they would get some of that feedback with along with that they would just get lots of feedback that was you know well we think this character's you know stat should change you should bring the health value down or put this up and things like that and yeah it's one of those where it was just really interesting to see how people interacted with that process and i don't blame people for that because they've never been through that process and they don't know what to expect and you can try and, you know, prime people as much as possible and let them know, um, you know, how this is going to work and what we're focusing on. But, yeah, ultimately, it's something completely new. And even, you know, the playtesters we use for our various games, they've gotten better as time goes on, like with anything. You mm -hmm. know, people don't people don't start great at things. Um, you know, they need to practice. They need to learn and iterate. Well, and it really goes to what you were saying before. A lot of people were expecting this to be 
almost a full-fledged game that just needed the sharp edges iron, you yeah. know, sort of shaved off as opposed to a, you know, as you just said, we're still trying to figure out which mechanic of these we're going to use, right? Yeah. And so. the the other thing as well that I think, because um, there were definitely a lot of kind of big benefits to early access was one of the main ones being was that we essentially didn't have to worry about showing people this game because, you know, people knew about it and they could see it. So we could take it to conventions and show it to people and just just having that freedom of being able to show people your work-in-progress game and getting feedback on it is useful. Um, and that can be mechanics. That can also be the way that you present information. And one of the things that... I remember, and I remember it distinctly because it's something that I regret ultimately suggesting and because I made the wrong call on, was um, we were looking at the Boon and Blight system, which is kind of a buff and debuff system in God Tier. And I was chatting to Alex Hall, lead developer at the time, and um, we were talking... uh, Originally, he was just like, well, we don't need like names for these things we can just use symbols and things like that and i was like well isn't it really weird if you have these effects that have no names and you just have symbols <laughs> and ultimately what ended up happening was we then went to this naming system which like ultimately like is my fault i think i i imagine like i might not have been the kind of swaying vote in that but i remember kind of like not strongly arguing them for it, but being very much in favor of, yeah, we should do this. And when, you know, taking it to people like at BonesCon, like I mentioned, and you have this debuff that says weaken and people go, which token is that? <laughs> and at that point, you, you know, you have the information in front of you that, you know, this was not the correct choice to make yep. um, and made it hard to use. And it's things like that that you you don't get that perspective without people playing your game and seeing people play your game. And that's often one of the hardest parts about developing any game, particularly one in isolation, is that, yes, you play it internally and you see people and you perhaps have external groups that you occasionally get to see to play. But by and large, a lot of our playtesters, you know, are not based in Manchester. You don't get to see their playtest session and watch that. So you don't get to see the, you know, how many times they had to look something up in a rule book or, you know, the 10 minutes they spent kind of debating this line in the rule book because it's not clearly written. You may hear about it in your test feedback, but nothing crystallizes it more than actually seeing someone experience that in front of you. That's a really cool point that I wouldn't have thought of either, but the fact that in meetings as game designers and supporting game designers, right? Lead game mm. design and whatnot. You're talking about the game and talking about the design. Yeah. <clears throat> then you move on to play testers who are remote. So you're writing, you're trying to communicate. Yes. You know, it's completely logical that mm, I got to name this, right? I got to name weekend and then yeah. to turn around. But yeah, it's a really good point when it comes to playing. It doesn't really matter what the name is. It's it's plus swords or negative swords. It's on my yeah, exactly. it's on my attack roll. Is it my accuracy or is it? You yeah, know. <clears throat> and that is just kind of, I guess, the biggest benefit by far was that we got to show this game to people and also got to you know help to kind of I guess like um, sand off some of these rough edges and 
also it gave us the time to look at the best way to present information and make choices about things with a bit more consideration um, and a bit more data to hand. And a really good example is where where we ended up with um, the champions and their followers. There are three cards, so the champions have two. And how we kind of ended up at that point based on the information we wanted to show and then having the ultimate on a separate card so you can flip it and you've used it. Yep. And, oh, someone has just knocked at my door. I'm just <laughs> going to go check what that is. No worries, I'll be right back. no worries. The thing was we also kind of got the time to look at... Um, like the graphic design and how we wanted to represent that. And the ultimates being on a separate card that you flip once you've used them is a really good example of that. And that's not to say that we wouldn't have um, necessarily come up with that, or rather Alex and DC wouldn't have come up with that um, in the kind of, uh, if we'd done a closed development. But it was one of those where you really kind of get this additional feedback that helps you kind of get to the place you want to go because i don't think for example god tier itself as a general concept changed that much it was kind of we know they knew and where they wanted to go with this game it was just kind of getting there and kind of making that game be the best version of that direction they were heading for so i guess i mean this is a this is a good time everybody out there the kickstarter backers everybody else understands you know there's been a there's been a lot of development there's been a lot of things done there's been a bit of a rocky road of course the traditional you know i i think steamforge has a gremlin that sits and just curses you guys on delivery (laughs) or something um and and i will even say you know when you talk about the people with the early access i even saw some of the sort of spring leading into possibly the delivery and then you know, summer demos, there were some very excited pundits and very excited helpers out there doing demos. And not all those demos were great. So, you know, even I found myself in a situation where I, knowing I was getting this game, I was like, eh, I did this demo. Now I'm not as excited. And then when I ended up getting the game in, sitting down and playing with some good friends and going through and doing everything on my own. Mm-hmm. I'm way over on the other side of the spectrum now. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm super excited. I I'm sending pictures out to a couple of guys going, you need to come play Just ignore everything you think, <laughs> just come play. So, yeah. so let's talk about God tier. Like, like, you know, we're, we're this far in and everybody's like, yeah, so what is this game? I mean, miniatures. And <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm sure you have done the spiel a thousand times, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you. What is the idea behind God tier and what is, what are the basics? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've done it a thousand times. So what's, you know, a thousand and one times. Right, um, exactly. <laughs> so God tier is a skirmish um miniature game well miniature board game um set in a fantasy world so it's kind of very typical classic fantasy and kind of the concept for the world that the game is set in is it's a world where the gods have died and essentially when the gods died their essence crashes to earth as these crystals called god tears now normally these crystals they um will just kill anyone that they come into contact with However, there are a select few people uh, called champions within the game that find out they don't die when they kind of enter this godlike energy. They can actually go in and absorb it and, you know, grow in size and grow in power. So they begin to form warbands of 
uh, champions with bringing their followers, which are kind of normal uh, people, like mere mortals, and essentially set out on quests to collect more god tiers with kind of the aim that they would become gods themselves. Kind of in, in the way of how that translates to the gameplay is that it's a hex-based game um, where you will bring between one and three champions um, to the board and there's no factions or anything or no like armies. You just bring the three champions that you like and you play them <coughs> um, and you play essentially a battle game that features dynamic scenarios with kind of multiple paths to victory is kind of the very quick, like, elevator pitch, I guess. Now, all the scenarios, at least in the base set that we've seen so far, are all some type of area control yeah. mixed with combat, depending on, depending on who you take, right? Yes. It's really champion-based, how you want to come in strategy-wise. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of, I guess, one of the things that's um, interesting about God Tier is that you can take whoever you want with whoever else you want. Um, you know, if you want to play Orcs and Elves together, sure, why not? Um, it's, you know, not a typical fantasy playing that you can, you would see, but you can do that. Now, all of the champions are kind of grouped into four different classes, which broadly dictates kind of how they play. So... You have Slayers, which are... Um, the way you can identify all of the different classes is by the color of miniature they are. So um, Slayers are red miniatures, and they essentially score um, additional points for taking out enemy champions. So they're going to be looking across the field and going, ah, there's an enemy champion. I want to knock that out, so I score more points. You then have Maelstroms, who are kind of a yellowy orangey color. Um, and their whole thing is that um, they excel at taking out uh, followers. So followers are kind of the smaller models that accompany champions, which are the bigger models, into battle. And they generally, like, help people out, um, you know, and are used to kind of control area and so on and can group up and separate throughout the game. So Maelstroms, they focus on uh, knocking those out. You then have Shapers that are in green, and their whole thing is that they... Um, gain additional points for place, placing banners and controlling the battlefield. Now, banners within the game are kind of the, I guess, scenario element that you would find in a lot of other kind of um, games of this type, you know, miniature war games and things like that, is every uh, battlefield will have objective hexes which represent a, like, submerged god tier and the power of it on the battlefield. And... Essentially, each champion can place their banner, which is essentially them claiming that area to try and claim that god tier. And when you place a banner, you score points. And if you can keep your banner safe for an entire turn, you will um, score points as well. So there's kind of this, I need to place my banner, but then I also need to protect it from other champions crushing it. And shapers get additional points for placing theirs. And the final type of class is your Guardian, which is in blue, and they are generally very tanky, and they gain additional points if their banner is still on the battlefield at the end of the turn. So you have kind of these four, like, broad archetypes that uh, all of these champions fall into that give you an idea of perhaps how they play, and then there's kind of variation within that. Uh, and they all, like, they all do their job a little bit differently, right? And that's what you mean by variation. 
Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I I was playing Titus the other day out of one of the starter sets, and Titus yeah. is uh, is a maelstrom, mm-hmm. and uh, he was doing great. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting to me to see, like when I wanted points, I would go after followers. Yeah. If I wanted to kind of impact the game, but wasn't as worried about points. I would spread my typical attacks. I'd be, you know, he was very yeah. good at, I'm going to target that hex and kill two guys there or target those hexes, those two different hexes, and kill somebody in each of them while it's followers. But I could also shift that to support my slayers and put that onto multiple other champions to do a little bit of damage, less damage overall, but spread yeah. it out a bit, which was uh, very interesting since my slayer was then running around slaughtering people. <laughs> it's one of those where um so i guess the kind of other thing i guess we should talk about in terms of the game and this has a big impact kind of on what you were just talking about is so the game has kind of a unique scoring system um which is called the battle ladder so um this battle ladder is essentially like a track up the side of the board because it's played on a like a hex board and whenever um like me as a player i score points I move a token that is placed on this ladder um, a number of spaces towards my end of the ladder, and whenever you score points, you would move it spaces towards your end of the ladder. At the end of a turn, whichever side of the ladder um, the token is on, that player wins that turn and scores the victory points on the back. Now, the each turn is worth different amounts of points. So turn one is worth one, two is worth two, three is worth three, Four, then it begins to taper off and it is worth two, and five is worth one, and you need five points total to win. So you have this kind of interesting element of the game of where you are looking at what turns you want to win, because, you know, to get five points, I could win turn two, which is worth two, and then turn three, that's worth three, and I've got my five points and I'm going to win. Now, because of this kind of tug of war aspect in the game, there's a lot of kind of reacting dynamically to your opponent and also the what's going on in the battlefield. So it's not uncommon, for example, say me and you were playing and you're, you know, absolutely just crushing me in turn two. And I kind of look at this and I go, well, there is no way that I'm going to win this turn because your token is so far on um, your side of the ladder that I have to score so many points and either you know keep a lot of banners safe or I have to take out a lot of followers to make this happen. So I then go, well, I'm going to lose this turn. So what can I do to set up for next turn? So maybe I start to look at, well, my Maelstrom, you know, they're really good at taking out followers, but I don't need the points. I don't want the points. So I'm going to instead use their attacks, which aren't as good on Slayers, to start putting some points on some champions. Um so that I can next turn have an easy knockout on a champion to give me that advantage in the next turn. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that <clears throat> definitely makes the game like really appealing and interesting to play is that the tug-of-war aspect is very clearly represented on this token moving backwards and forwards, but that also applies to the different turns you're going to play. And the game has kind of been set up in a lot of ways to make it so that the game kind of feels like a tug of war. It's actually very difficult when you have two players that both know the game and are both on a kind of a similar level for players to win back-to-back turns unless, you know, the the other player wants them to do that or, you know, you have some dice rolls that kind of 
you know, <laughs> do some crazy stuff. It is still a dice game. I can attest yes, exactly. to it. It's still a dice game. My uh, my eight dice are, are yeah. I had a I had a nine dice. Uh, Nine dice attack followed up by a seven dice damage and uh, hit, uh, what was it? I was 13 successes on the attack and, and basically all blanks on my uh, seven <laughs> dice, you know, which just for the listener who doesn't know, it's a third of a chance. Like two sides of a D6 are blank. So I should not have had seven dice all come up blank. <laughs> you know, thank you, yeah, statistics. The, yeah, those <laughs> dice can be like incredibly fickle. And it was one of those where, honestly, that was kind of a feature. Honestly, we wanted dice that are a bit more swingy because hmm. one of the things that within the game just generally is um, you could find a situation where you get into a turn and you realize, you know, I can't score the points here um, to win this turn. And maybe it's the final turn of the game. You need to win this one to make the game carry on is by having this kind of more swingy dice mechanic is you sometimes just have situations where, you know, someone is ahead and you think that they're definitely going to win and, you know, an attack doesn't go their way and suddenly there's a chance that you can swing it back. Or equally, and as what seems to happen more frequently when I give a demo to someone, is dice will explode and do crazy things, and then all of a sudden, um, I'm meant to be demoing someone, and I've accidentally one-shot someone. <laughs> right. Now, um, I, I want, I'd like to, if you don't mind, go back to this tug-of-war mechanic, the battle ladder. Yeah. Um, I am hugely intrigued. It's it's uh, ironic. This morning, I was just listening to another, another board game podcast, which was talking about mechanics, and they were doing some definitions for new gamers. And yeah. they came across Tug of War, right? They had gone out to Board Game Geek, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, Tug of War mechanics, um, huh. There are almost no games out there with this mechanic, <laughs> right? And, and it really does. It boils down to, like, Twilight Struggle and Seven Wonders Duel, not yeah. even Seven Wonders, but Seven Wonders Duel, was, was what was the driver behind implementing that battle ladder or tug-of-war mechanic? Was it because the mechanic is so infrequently used and there was an idea that this would be a good, a good catch here, or did it come about in another way? So... I'm going to be talking largely from kind of my experience. Understood. Um, because it like this, the tug of war mechanic kind of predates my involvement with the game. But I think one of the main reasons, you know, why we stuck with it and why it works is the fact that everyone has had that experience in a game of where kind of you, you're in a situation where it's, um, you're looking at the game and you're going, Oh, well, if I, I know I've already lost is, but I've got, you know, half an hour left or maybe longer in some cases to finish this game out and tug of war mechanics and particularly the way we've used them where they, it's a tug of war that resets well up to five times during a game. So right, five times. Right. Um, and it's just one of those where it creates this thing of, Oh, I can come back into this and, is the other thing which I think is kind of really important is that you can, as a player and or someone even spectating God tier, and because of the number of demos I've done, I've spectated a lot of games of God tier. <laughs> is I can kind of look at the battle ladder down the side of the um, 
uh, board and I can look at that and I can get a clear idea of what's going on in that game of who's ahead and then I can look at you know what's left to still activate on the board and you know what um, damage things are on and I can go hmm okay so you're currently ahead but actually um, this person over here they if they make this attack they've got reasonable odds to do this and things like that um, and you get a very kind of clear and transparent like um, impression of what's going on in the game and the other thing I guess also with Total War mechanics just generally and it was something actually me and Alex who was the previously developer on it talked about very recently was that the other thing that this tug of war mechanic provides is a very like visceral and tactile feeling of when you're making an impact in a game is in a lot of games, you know, you have, Oh, I, you know, gained more points and things like that. And you would increase a, you know, a turn tracker. Whereas when you think of kind of a lot of miniature war games and even kind of miniature war game hybrids, there's often not that kind of track. You're often, it's just like, I mean, Guild Ball, our other game is a really good example of this is you've scored six points, but you, there's not like a track that you move up or anything. You just know, oh, I've scored six of my 12 points. However, with God Tier, whenever you like make an impact on the board, like, you know, removing a follower, knocking out a champion, placing your banner is you've got to move that token. And it's a weird thing because it's such a tiny little thing of just moving a token and it's a small action but i think that really helps kind of give the player this feedback of oh i did something and this had an impact and i can see that it's had an impact because the token has moved i I, and that is thank you so much for that because it's i i will say anecdotally i had two situations which are very interesting um from a strategic planning standpoint that interacted directly with the battle ladder, which is, you know, in one situation, I, I was on a tear, an absolute tear. Every time I activate, activated a unit, take out one of his models, activate it, you know, as a follower and activate a champion, take out one of his models, take another follower. And by the fourth follower, I would kind of looked over at the battle ladder and I'm still deep in his side of the board. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, huh, I, I felt like that went so much better than, than it actually did. Maybe I should have focused elsewhere because that was a whole point of peace. I got four points back, but he was able to keep, you know, keep pushing yeah. and keep things. Now, the other side, um, the end of uh, actually my last, my most recent game, we um, were rolling into the last turn and my, I had won. The first two turns were in turn three and was lucky enough to get all three of my banners out into a fairly large, um, a fairly large space of objective markers, the way they had been set up. And he had spent once, once my opponent realized he was going to lose turn two, he had spent time setting up to fight me. Yeah. The challenge was. My first, you know, my, my, my first activation, second activation of, of turn two, I was able to get a Slayer kill on another, uh, on one of his champions, which put it far enough into my side that even when he came back, you know, he, t- he took a couple of activations. We're about halfway through turn three. We're midway down his side of the ladder. And he kind of looked at the ladder and he looked at where he was with his champions and he went, oh, I just lost. 
And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you're, you're going to, like, you have a guardian on the board. That's five points for one banner. There you get the points for the other banners. He's like, you're not going to be deep on your side of the ladder, but I have no way to remove those. Literally, you, I can't make up the points. Yeah. And it was a really interesting moment where we both sort of stopped and went, oh, like that planting my banners the way I did and then setting the positioning and movement the way I did completely me, won me the turn almost from the beginning of the turn. It just took us a while to realize it. And it's one of those as well where like situations like that, you often kind of, um, and I think it's one of the things um, that I've noticed as well, particularly when people are learning the game is they can kind of underestimate how important like focusing on certain aspects of the game are. And banners are a really good example is that normally when I demo the game to people is regardless of kind of what they tell them and what um, champions I put in front of them, they will try and, you know, knock out enemy champions because that's, you know, the main verb that most people use in a miniature war game is like, oh, I need to score. I need to score points. The way I will score points is by taking out champions. And, you know, there are big models and they're smaller models. Big model probably worth more points, which, you know, all tracks, you know, all yep. makes sense. Yep. Um, and it's when you kind of have that realization, and I definitely see it with players, is when, like, they lose a turn, like you say, because of banners, and then they kind of realize, it's like, oh, the banner, banner game can be very important. And they, even if I'm not going to play banners myself, I need to be thinking about how am I going to, you know, threaten my opponent's banners and crush them so that it so that I essentially don't lose out because my opponent has kind of these points banked in banners. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, and it's, and it's interesting that they are banked. Like you have to then find a way to protect a whole turn yeah. of your banner being out there. Now the game so far has felt to me and I'm bringing this up because this is very different from most skirmish games most miniature games yeah. that i play it feels to me like it's a pretty even floor in that the the kind of learning curve for the game is i i almost want to say it's a bit more gradual it, it doesn't feel like there's a huge steep learning curve but every mm. game we're sitting down regardless of the champions on the table. And I'm only a handful of games in, but it seems yeah. like both my opponents and I are learning sort of a new trick with this this champion or yeah. that champion almost at the same rate, mm -hmm. which I find very different from, say, a guild ball where season one, the person who took Obulus and figured him out kind of <laughs> was way ahead of the curve, right? Um, mm -hmm. is Was that intentional or is that a byproduct of you know, some part of the game design, uh, sort of an unintentional byproduct. Or am I missing it completely and I just haven't seen the, the steep, <laughs> like the, the cliff or the steep, you know, the steep climb yet? So I guess the, <laughs> the answer to that is that there's kind of definitely intentional parts and then also some of it is kind of like as you're working on something, you, you know, like with any creative process, you plan to do certain things and sometimes, you know, you get, unexpected things that you're happy with and definitely with god tier one of the things that we um really wanted to and it was kind of one of the things that both alex and dc established and was you know drilled into me an awful lot when i took over on it is that the game is 
designed to be and more accessible than quite a lot of other miniature games on the market. And the thing is that a lot of people will hear the word accessible, and particularly if they play quite complicated games, and, you know, that will worry them. And accessible and um, depth are two different things. You know, they can coexist together. And one of the things definitely with God Tier was that we wanted it to be accessible but still have depth. And it's a hard thing to achieve. And I think the way we kind of achieved that was making sure that, you know, the things that you do are very simple to understand, but kind of layer, like like in a kind of standard turn of God tier, you're making a lot of very small decisions that are easily kind of understood of, oh, I'm going up, I'm making an attack, I'm moving and crushing this banner, I'm placing my banner. These are all very simple things that people understand, but it's kind of the layering of these very simple things that creates kind of the depth and like complexity of the game. And you've done that in a way that isn't like overwhelming the player because they're, you know, that becomes apparent to them as time goes on. It doesn't, it's not like some games. And I think Guild Ball is definitely a case of this where I think one of the things I definitely realized about Guild Ball is I love the game um, and it has an incredible amount of depth, but it's one of those where it's not the easiest game to demo and the kind of difference between someone that even knows the game a little bit and a and beginner is huge because there's quite a you know steep learning curve and that steep learning curve makes the game interesting because you know you're picking when whenever you make an attack in guild ball you're picking from a list of results but you know you've got to understand the mechanics of those you know how to make attacks and how you pick those results and then you've got all this kind of subjective um, thing of which results do I pick? When do I pick them? And things like that, where God tier doesn't have that on a kind of more like on a smaller level. It has it on a much kind of more zoomed out level is that you're thinking about the big decisions on a turn rather than kind of the big decisions in something like Guild Ball, which happen at kind of a individual like player or model level where each model is making a huge decision. In God tier, I would say a model is taking smaller decisions that contribute to a whole big decision. Hmm. Okay, I could I could see that. And, and yeah, it's it is very interesting. Like it's one of those things that I have I have enjoyed more that didn't come through in the early early demos. Yeah. You know, and, and it's and it's a key part of the game. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of the things that's been really interesting with um, talking about kind of um, having Steamforge having grown and so on, and we've had new staff members to a variety of different departments, is um, not too long ago we had a, essentially, we set aside an afternoon and it was, okay, get together people who have not played God Tier and they will play God Tier. and. Mm. It's one of those where um, we, you know, we have a variety of different people on the team that, you know, um, play lot. Some people play lots of games. Some people, you know, um, like games, but like simpler games and things like that. And you have some that, you know, uh, don't really play that many games. You have a wide variety of people working at Steamforged. And um, when you kind of put God tier in front of them, it's a case of, yes, they they start to learn the mechanics and so on, but 
you something that you see and it's something i've seen an awful lot doing demos is you see that moment where people aren't learning the game they're playing it is that they're not looking at it as kind of oh i need to thinking about well i'll move up make this attack this means oh well this many dice and then i need to do this is they're then thinking about it from a oh if i move up here and attack this then knock this person out that means that this will become i'll score this many points at which point i'm more likely to win this turn and it's it's one of those where i guess that's kind of coming back to the accessibility thing of by making the game mechanics kind of as as simple as possible and um, the depth more in the decisions and the layering of those is that people understand it very quickly and the mechanics are not a barrier to people playing it because there are definitely games and these can even be games that I really love where I, there are certain people that I would love to show certain games to, but I look at them and go, it's it's too complicated or the learning curve is too steep where god tier by far for me is one of the games where i go i've shown this to so many different people and they i've seen people playing it you know with their five-year-old children and that to me is incredible because that was definitely a thing that alex and dc and myself want to see we want to see as many people playing this game and enjoying it and making the game simple and accessible is part of that overall goal. Gotcha. So, 14 champions. 15. Four, is it 16? 15. 15, okay. Yeah, 15 from the Kickstarter. Hmm, I wonder who I didn't count. Uh, now i gotta go back and look figure out who i didn't count (laughs) don't don't do this to me i had this recently there was someone um i think it was might have been our events manager and um Mm. she was asking me it's like oh what champions are there in god tier and she's asking me to kind of list them off (laughs) and i start you know it starts fairly good i'm like oh yeah well um the two star sets are you know titus finvar morrigan and and Nier, and then we start to list it off, and I then get stuck. It's yep. like, they, <laughs> I can't believe I'm forgetting these people because, you know, I've, I've worked on these, I've played with these so much. And um, so, yeah, it's very easily done to forget about someone. And what tends to happen is you go, how did I forget about, you know, Rafe Marids? I love Rafe Marids. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So, so 15, four classes. How critical is it to mix the classes in your in your traditional your three champion warband? How critical is it to mix the classes versus how often have you seen either in playtest or in your own? I know you guys did some campaign uh, uh, some campaign games, you know, to just go. You know what? I'm going all shaper all the time. Screw fighting. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna you know blight you to death and. Uh, <laughs> So one of the things, and it's actually a question that's come up a few times within the community is like, you know, can I play all the, like all slayers and so on? And will that work? And it's, it's always interesting because it's definitely, it's a thing we're def- we're selling the game on. And it's something that I always tell people is the, the whole idea of kind of the class system and being able to play any type of champion and choosing your three champions is so that you can play how you want to. And um, you can definitely play a lineup where you're just going to take three of one class. 
the thing that you have to take into account when you're playing that is that you're going to be really good in one area and you're going to have some, you know, you're going to be lacking in other areas. But that doesn't mean you can't compete because um, one of the things that was another kind of design decision that, you know, was established early on was that by and large there are character most characters in god tier most champions can kind of play all elements of the game there are a few exceptions Mm. and i think and it's one of those where um it's kind of good to have those exceptions but by and large like a shaper for example who you know mainly just wants to put their uh, banner down control the battlefield kind of playing this more control role or support role can still do damage most of them can um in fact i'm fairly certain like all of them in the um original 15 can do damage they can't do as much damage as say a slayer or a maelstrom but they can do damage so if you're playing an all shaper lineup you just have to be aware as like oh i'm going to get a lot of points from placing my banners i'm going to have a lot of control on the board so i can you know try and keep those safe and I can knock things out. I just have to, you know, use my ta- my attacks and pull them effectively. Is I don't want to be spreading them out because I've got a very limited number and they're not or they're not as good. I want to be focusing them and choosing the right targets. So it's one of those where we've definitely in playtests we've seen different, you know, pe- within the development team people have different preferences of the champions they generally like to take. A really good example is um, head of development, Jamie Perkins. He absolutely loves Slayers and Maelstroms. And it was only really, it was like a couple of weeks ago, he played um, a Shaper kind of seriously for the first time. (laughs) Got to tie him down and force him to play some Shapers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's the way uh, he plays is a very, like, fighting-focused lineup, where by comparison, Fraser, another developer on the team, he really loves Shapers and Guardians. He wants to play the banner game, and um, that's predominantly how he plays. Whereas I tend to kind of like to play more of a mixed lineup is I want a different class in each slot because I like to kind of participate in all of the, you know, have kind of an even footing in every area of the game. It does mean, however, that, you know, if I'm not careful, I can have someone like Jamie bring all his slayers and, you know, steamroll me um, mm-hmm. if I'm not careful. And I, So it's one of those where, yes, you can definitely play three of one class. You've just got to be aware of kind of where your downfalls are in terms of where your weaknesses exist and kind of think about how are you going to use the tools you've got there. Well, that's That's very cool. Yeah, it's one of the things we... We have looked at locally, and like I say, we're just a handful of games in, and of course, you know, we have the one player that was like, I'm going to play all elves. Can I play all elves? <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking for all the elves. <laughs> and, and then, of course, you know, we had uh, a couple of other people kind of just scratch their head a little bit and be like, I'm not, I'm not sure we can, like, is it possible to roll out and still win games going really strictly, you know, one class? So I am, I am excited to see how it develops. Uh, anybody who has not sat down to play this, get a demo, get, get a current demo. Um, I, I think, yep. aren't there still, um, is there paper dolls up on the website still? Um, so I know the rule book is up there. 
Yeah, the rule book and all the cards are definitely up there. I don't remember offhand if there are uh, paper dolls up there, um, but definitely the rules are all up there. The other thing I would say is if you're interested in the game is we've done quite a um, few videos talking about the game. Uh, we've got a staff playthrough between me and um, Giblin, our community manager. So there's a lot of kind of video content on YouTube um on the Steamforge YouTube channel um, for you to watch if you're kind of interested in the game. Now, I know that there's big questions out there about the campaign. I am I am rabid <laughs> to know about the campaign, but for now, I'm going to be kind. It's Thanksgiving in the U.S. Okay. I, and mean, then... I, can, I mean, I can talk <laughs> about the campaign. That's fine. <laughs> I, I, I mean, is, is, I, I know there was something released in the Kickstarter box. Like, I haven't yes. opened that package yet. I know there was an initial part of the campaign run. Do, do you want to jump into that? Because that was another area that was a little, like, there was a lot promised early on. And then, a, you know, it was going to be the legacy campaign of miniature games. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm happy to go into it if you still have some time. Yeah, yeah, I can talk a bit about campaign. So one of the things with, like, God Tier just generally is that, yes, you can play it as a a game where you will, you know, you just choose your champions, you play, and it's a one-off game. And, you know, that can be a great way to play the game. Um, and there'll be some people that that will be the way they play it. And whether that be, you know, in kind of perhaps some more competitive events, or even, you know, the other thing that I'm kind of expecting is that there'll be people that will, you know, just play it on their, you know, kitchen tables and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, the other kind of play mode that we're offering is a campaign mode. Now, it's one of those where the campaign mode, there was an awful lot kind of back and forth internally about different approaches and so on. And with the Kickstarter campaign, we um, provided kind of the... I guess the kind of first version of this campaign and it's a bit different from kind of some standard campaigns and so on that you would see and we're kind of curious to see like what the feedback is from people and what they like and what they don't like okay. and this kind of ties into the a thing that Steamforge has always done is we've always you know listened to our community and iterated because the difference between you know us playing internally and when it actually the game goes out into the world is huge. Like more more games get played probably in you know that first re week of release than you can ever really play um, internally as much as you try. And kind of the way that that formed is that the campaign system is essentially each character has two different kind of skill trees. Um, and so you bring kind of your warband and you choose, oh, I'm going to play these three characters. And you will essentially be randomly paired up at a location. Um, and these locations come with special rules that essentially change how you think about God tier and kind of give you new and interesting situations. So some of them are like attacker-defender scenarios. There's um, one where... Um, followers can enter ob objective hexes which they normally can't and things like that so they're kind of simple special rules or alterations to scenarios that make the game just different oh cool so you so you have that as kind of like an additional layer and then whenever you finish a game um players earn god tiers which they can then spend to upgrade their characters now i mentioned there were two skill trees and each time you play a campaign you will only use one of those skill trees you have to you know, make a commitment of, oh, I'm going to use the chaos skill tree for um, Rangosh rather than the death skill tree. And 
essentially these skill trees will see you change the stats of your character. They will also see certain abilities get changed, and this can be traits as well. And then finally, they will get a new ability of some kind. Um, so you have kind of this progression. Now, you how you spend these god tiers is up to you. You could, for example, if, say, I don't know, Wraith Marid, Grimgut, whoever is your favorite champion, you could go, cool, I'm just going to pour all my god tiers into <laughs> that character, and I'm going to have, you know, all my regular guys running around with a fully leveled up, um, you know, Wraith Marid, um, and it's going to be great. Or you could equally kind of take the position of, oh, I'm going to spread them out equally. So, you know, I haven't got the incredible highs of having one person who's highly leveled, but I also, but I have a more consistent warband um, across uh, all oh. my characters. And the thing is that you're... I think as well, your the skill trees you choose and kind of your preferences will have an impact on that. Um, a really good example is that... Um, there's a Grimgut tree, Grimgut of Life, where um, one of the upgrades is that New Spew, which is one of um, his skills where essentially he spews out his followers, uh, they're like slime followers, becomes a bonus action. So it doesn't cost you one of your two very limited actions. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, and that's a huge change. And it was something um, that when... And it was actually during the Kickstarter when we had a Kickstarter update talking about a campaign day. That was one of the things that, like, um, uh, Jamie identified was he was like, that's such a huge change and changes how he thinks about that character. And Grimgut is one of his favorite characters. And he's interestingly now said, he's like, campaign Grimgut has ruined Grimgut for me. <laughs> um, and so he, while he was playing that campaign, he was, you know, trying to blitz it to get to that level because he knows he wants that ability and there'll definitely be those aspects of where you know you want certain abilities or certain alterations to fit the play style and make kind of kind of shape the characters to how you want them nice now what's the um what's the target for number of games or uh you know expected number of games for a campaign and this is kind of another place where like um the the campaign system is very different, and this is another place where we're kind of looking for feedback, is that we... So the campaign comes with, like, two different modes, and kind of the mode that was kind of, the campaign was kind of originally conceived with was actually a very short, truncated campaign of four games that you could run in a single day, so you could do a campaign day, essentially. Hmm. Um, and then another mode that we have done is essentially we've given you rules so that you could essentially just keep, like, um, carry on from those four games, um, you know, with perhaps bif uh, bigger roster sizes um, and things like that. And we're really curious to see kind of the impact because one of the things that we, and one of the reasons we kind of wanted to try this shorter campaign is that there are a lot of people that I know, and I'm also included within this, who love the idea of campaign games. I love the idea of, you know, D&D &D and things like that and running a long D&D &D campaign. But they can be so hard at times to run because of the fact that, you know, you're trying to get a group of people together repeatedly. And if you can do it, great. And I know people who do, and I'm always envious of them. 
because it's you know as real life um, always does it makes it difficult mm -hmm. so we were kind of looking at can we do a similar experience in a you know more truncated form um like form factor essentially and we we think we've done that and we're really curious to see how people react and you know we're curious whether people want more of the really long form campaign and want us to kind of you know what does a campaign game look like if you can play it for two years is that what people want or is it this idea of a like a single day campaign event will that take hold and that's one of the things that we're really like interested to see what people think because it was definitely kind of a big um decision for us to make was we're going to put forward this um this version which is is a campaign but is a bit different to what people expected so yeah we definitely want people's feedback on that as we they play it well i gotta say uh the idea of a one-day campaign amazing the idea of a two-year yeah. campaign i have trouble keeping the same players playing the same <laughs> game for two years <laughs> yeah yeah it's one of those whenever i hear about like um and you occasionally see it like when people talk about campaign games is um like you'll see all the people like you know maybe on twitter or a forum or on facebook and so on talking about campaign games and you will have most people go so what's the longest campaign you've run and people will most people will be like oh two weeks you know a yep. few months yep. and then you know life got in the way and there'll always be uh, one person who'll be like oh i've been playing D D with the same like four people for the last five years and we're still on the same campaign <laughs> and it's just like that's cool that that's a thing I wish I could have that experience, but you know, I like I've had <laughs> trouble enough. Um, for example, playing certain campaign board games with the same people, like um, Mice and Mystics, for example. I think I've played the like beginning two scenarios of that board game like three or four times, and um, with different people because just trying to keep people together is hard. So, as, yeah. as a massive fan of legacy games, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm walking around on the street going, you know, you know, don't give me money. Just come play my legacy game. Come on, come with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's one of those where, like, I think, and this was another thing we talked about internally, is that with campaign games especially, is I think, it, and I'm definitely this way, is everyone has that kind of, Imagine, imagination of it being like oh um imagine if like this was the campaign that we we played for ages and we really enjoyed right. and it was able to keep together everyone aspires to have that campaign and i think a lot of the time that's what why people love the idea of campaign games is that even if they don't like get to play you know their 10 games of their legacy game that they've got that they absolutely love is that they're as much in love with the idea that they'll get to do that because that is a really compelling experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. So, well, thank you so much for that. That was awesome. What, no what have I not asked you that you absolutely know that the listener needs to hear? <laughs> um, trying to think. Well, we've covered like release date, um, we've covered a few other things. Um, I guess the other thing I should say as well is that, and I did kind of allude to it earlier, is we are like, you know, going to have this campaign mode, but we will be supporting it um, with kind of multiple forms of organized play. 
So um, with Guild Wars, an example, our previous miniature game, really, for the most part, our only form of organized play was tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, with God Tier, there will be a tournament document um, that will be coming around, out around the time of the retail release is the kind of aim there. Um, so you will be able to play this in a competitive format. Um, and additionally, we'll be supporting it with campaign events. So there'll be kind of different forms of organized play and for people. Nice. Um, which, you know, hopefully means that there'll be kind of something depending on the type of people you are. Because, you know, within, say, Steamforged itself, we have people that like, you know, different ways to play their games. And a really good example is one of the project managers, um, at Steamforged, uh, also called Matt, just to make things really confusing, <laughs> is a um, massive fan of, like, you know, miniature games and so on and uh, board games, but doesn't really like to do tournaments. It's never really been his thing, um, and, you know, that's perfectly cool, um, where something, you know, like a campaign is way more appealing to him because he's not, you know, he's the sort of person that he wants to play because he loves this character or he thinks this thing is really cool. And, you know, there are lots of different types of gamers that like lots of different type of things. And um, we'd love to, you know, for them to be able to kind of look at God tier and go, cool, there's something here for me. Well, I, I reiterate, I, uh, I am a convert and it was, uh, it was surprising to me. Um, you know, I, I really, I, and, and it's a really pleasant surprise. I'm excited. Yeah. I've, uh, dug out my, all my early access stuff. I got glue on my fingers as I'm trying to get my metal models together. And, yeah. uh, I am, I'm excited to see where this goes. The, the game ended up, um, again, much better than even I expected. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And it, yeah, having that kind of situation of where, you know, people come around and enjoy it is always a great one. And I think, I guess the other thing is, you know, the game was kickstarted and with 15 champions and retail is eight. And, you know, the rest will be going to retail as well. We don't want that gap to be too long because, you know, we don't want people waiting for, mo- you know, seeing people with models that they can't get. But the other thing is, yeah, it started on Kickstarter, but this is just kind of the beginning for God Tier. We've, you know, already started to show kind of artwork for future champions and things like that. So it's the beginning of God Tier, and I'm really excited when we get to start to show people some of the cool new stuff that is coming, because there is a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline for this game. So what should I be practicing? Any any, any hints there? Should stick with the shapers or maelstroms <laughs> or, uh, you know, should I practice one particular scenario? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the thing, though, is that, like, we... So definitely in terms of our, kind of our future releases, we want to, you know... There will be some people that, you know, like I said earlier, that will love Slayers. And, you know, there's cool new slayers coming out there's cool new maelstrom shapers and so on and i'm kind of gotten to that point where and it's always a cop out because like so many people (laughs) say these things is i definitely before i was lead developer i was on the development team i feel like i was kind of the shaper guy is that i just wanted to play shapers and um, plant banners and then as i kind of took over the lead developer role and you know started to play way more playtest games and designing new champions i've kind of gotten to the point where i basically get excited about pretty much whatever class we're currently you know got in playtesting because which is a good sign because you know it's a 
it means it's a character that I'm excited about enough to make me kind of go, oh, yeah, I really love Slayers, even though before I was a Shaper guy. <laughs> um, so, See, yeah, depending on what, you know, whatever class you like, you will find something you enjoy. What, what I'm hearing is now we see, does Steve pass the uh, Johnston Perkins test? Right, right. If if like like in Guild Ball, if morticians and farmers in their own time period are the best, you know, if shapers are the best, we know that you have failed that test as well. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So, well, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on and talk about God Tier. You know, my my hope for an incredible success and uh, and go bug your people. Tell them to go read my email about Spring Fling because I would love to roll out a full God Tier campaign at Spring Fling this year. Well, that would be good. Um, so. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed this, and um, as I said to you before, like. I remember the gamers land from way back when and it's <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, it's not as big as kind of, you know, oh I um like when I was watching God Tier and now I'm lead developer, but it's incredibly like strange and humbling that I'm now on this podcast, a podcast that I listened to ages ago. Oh my god, thank you. That's uh Okay, so with that, now I'm going to be blushing and like a schoolgirl. So, <laughs> no, thank you so much. That's um, it is good to hear. And as many listeners as I can convert to people being on the show, I just have to yeah. go find a new listener. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you as well. Bye. Wow, we are closing on the length of some of the original Gamers Launch shows here. Uh, I need to be a little bit careful about that. <laughs> no, uh, not careful at all. Uh, apologize for a little bit of break there. Uh, it was a little bit of um, phone disconnect in the middle, and then or Skype disconnect, and then back up and running again. I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation, uh, Steve. Absolute, uh, absolute great guest. Great, uh, great game designer i mean listen to his history where he's come from and uh you know i think you will see as god tier rolls out in the future some very exciting things i'm certainly looking forward to what's coming i'm in the same boat as each of our listeners um you know i am watching this game and where it goes i got the game i got the models i got a couple of crews that i'm enjoying and it's fun to dig in so um I want to wish everybody a happy holidays and thank you so much for listening to the Gamers Lounge. It's uh it is a joy to continue to do the show and I am grateful that there's even one of you out there that is listening and enjoying yourself. If you would like to give some feedback, have a chat or just in general um get some information to me, you can reach me at bill at gamerslounge.coda.net. I also have a Facebook page, uh, Gamers Lounge, dot, uh, Gamers Lounge Podcast. I think that's on Facebook, so at. Um, it's the one with the sexy microphone. Also, uh, you could help us out by leaving feedback on iTunes. Uh, I know nobody goes directly to iTunes anymore, but if you could, and put a little bit of feedback in there, it definitely helps other people find the show. So with that said, thank you so much and have a very Merry Christmas. 
Have a good new year, and we'll be back in January.